Welcome to Core 242 Podcast, brought to you by Core Community Covenant Church. Now let's dive into the Word of God with Pastor Max and Pastor Trish. Yeah, so we're going to be in John chapter 11, and this is the story of Lazarus. And if you look at, at how everything was going through, this is, to us, we see it as the beginning of Jesus' journey to the cross. And as we're going to break, break down the verses of this chapter 11, and we're going to dive in a little bit in chapter 12, you will see how, how much it is the beginning of his journey. And we titled this part of the journey of the cross, Let Your Will Be Done. Hmm. And we're going to see, I don't want to say the struggle of Jesus with the will of God, but he's just, it's, you see the, you're going to see the emotion, emotion of, of Christ, which is sometimes we don't see because we kind of always look at, at Jesus as this stoic person, you know, it's just kind of going through it and the teacher and we don't see the passion and the love and, and, the, and the emotions that he really carries through the gospel. Um, so we even, this is the chapter that has the famous, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, and go so from these there. next few weeks, as we go through these stories, you're, we're going to specifically highlight the emotional journey that Christ has to the cross and look at. So there may be one emotion that we focus on for the most part, but you know there may be multiple emotions that are at play. Because in the same way, you know, we we think about Christ and His divinity, but we don't think about the humanity part as much. Um, and just the same way that we struggle with emotions. And even in a given moment, we can feel multiple emotions all at the same time. Um, and because the cross was such a heavy, uh, a heavy call, uh, such a heavy thing that, that Christ had to carry, uh, he goes through this emotional journey. Uh, and a lot of times we don't look at that. We just look at the, the events of going to the cross and the resurrection rather than looking at Christ's personal struggle. So that's what we want to focus on as we go through these stories. So that just kind of gives you a context as we're reading. And again, instead of reading the whole text and then teaching, uh, we're going to read and then we'll kind of talk about those few verses a little bit and then we'll go on to the next section. So if you have the, we'll start in John chapter 11, starting with verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from the Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha, the Mary whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so God's son may be glorified through it. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. So we're gonna, we want to look at this script, scripture. And the first thing that, that we want to see is the two emotions that, that, that he's going through it. He knows the outcome of Lazarus. Right away when they hear it, he knows that it's not going to end in death. But he also has this feeling of he loves Lazarus. So now he's having this emotion. There's a person who's sick right now. The person that he loves very much is sick right now. But he knows the outcome. So now it's, it's, it's again, it's, we're looking at how he's feeling through this time. 
and we're, we're wondering what is going to happen next. And we want to know, like, why, why didn't he go right away, right? It says, he, yet when he heard this, Lazarus was sick. He stayed, stayed where he was for two more days. It, it was very, very confusing to me. Like, when I read it, I was like, if you love him, go. But now, again, it's the struggle of God's will. It wasn't God's will for him to leave at that point. He needed to do something. It doesn't say what, but he needed to do something at that point before he left. So it's, it's that battle. I love Lazarus. He's sick. I want to go see him, but it's not God's will for me to go right now. The timing. Yeah. So a little bit of background of where we're at in Jesus' life and ministry. Uh, in chapter 10, we see that Christ makes some pretty bold claims Uh, about who he is. And the Jewish people in Jerusalem, he's in Jerusalem at that point, they get really angry about this. They accuse him of blasphemy uh, because he was equating himself with being God. And so they try multiple times to actually seize him and stone him. They want, they they finally turn to the point because they were upset and they were angry before and there were plots. But at this point, they actually start to get violent and they want to seize him on the spot and actually kill him. So it says in chapter 10 that Jesus escaped their grasp Uh, And so Jesus went back across the Jordan. So he was about a day's journey outside of Jerusalem at this point. And he was not hiding, but he had removed himself to a more remote place because, again, his time had not yet come. So he went to this other place where there was more um, acceptance of him and less hostility. Um, And so that's where he is um, outside. So Bethany was about two miles, which we'll read that, two miles outside of Jerusalem. is very, very close to Jerusalem itself. Um, And Jesus had just had this major confrontation in Jerusalem. And so he withdrew to this place across the Jordan in order to avoid, um, it says, to escape their grasp, in order to get away from this violence that he was facing. Um, And then, so we see that's where this story starts, is that last Lazarus and Mary and Martha are in Bethany, which is just outside of Jerusalem, which is a place of tension for Jesus, not really a place where he would want to go um, at this point. And then it says this Mary who now lay sick was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. This is actually telling us just the same way that the gospels tell us uh, there's times when it refers to Judas and it says the one who betrayed Jesus. Um, He hadn't betrayed Jesus yet, but they let you know because they want you to know which which Judas they're talking about. And in this story, it's saying this Mary, she has not yet anointed him. She has not yet wiped his feet with her hair, but they're letting you know it's that Mary because there were many Marys and they want you to know which one they're referring to. So we're going to see, we're going to see that we, if we have a chance, we're going to actually look at that part of the story as well. But when they send word to Jesus, they just say, Lord, the one you love is sick. And it's so meaningful because they don't even need to say Lazarus's name. But Jesus had such an intimate, and that's why this is important, because we see Jesus' emotional struggle. On the one hand, he wants to do the will of the Father. He wants to follow the Lord's timing. But as my husband said, on the other hand, this is someone who he cares about very deeply. And as we see these two things playing out in tension, um, if we have, we have to anchor ourselves on those two things in order for the story to make sense. Because otherwise it kind of seems like the plot line is a little all over the map, and Jesus' activity seems like contradictory. It doesn't seem, we can't really understand why he's doing what he's doing. For example, as he said, it, it says here, Jesus loved Martha and, and her sister and Lazarus. Yet when he heard Lazarus was sick, sick, he stayed where he was two more days. So when you unpack this, he stays where he is two more days because he's waiting on the Lord's timing. At the same time, he's willing to go because he cares so much about Lazarus. He, which we'll see in the next part, um, 
they, they question like, why would you even go? Because you're basically, they're going to kill you. If you go back to this part of, if you go back towards Jerusalem, they're going to kill you there. So the fact that Jesus was willing to go at all is a testimony to how much he really loved Lazarus. Yeah. So the, what he, Trish was mentioning, we're going to go into verse 7 through 10 now. It says, then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judah. And, and, yeah. I, really, and I really love that there was two days between those verses. It ends with, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judah. So that means there was two days in between that verse. Because two days happened, and now he's like, all right, now we're going to go back to Judah. So we're really intrigued at what was happening those two days. Why did God kept him in this place for these two days that they haven't mentioned it, right? So it was just, it was just an interesting, today as I was reading it, it popped into my head. I was like, wait, they just skipped two days. Like, it was nothing. Like, next verse. Uh, so he says, but Rabbi, they, sa- they said, a short while ago, the Jews tried to stone you, and yet you're going back there? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble, for he sees by this world's light. It is when he walks by night that he stumbles, for he has no light. Mm-hmm. So again, we're, we're going through, through the things. First, I, I want to kind of point out, point out to you, he knows the outcome for him if he goes. The human nature, the, they plainly said to him, if you go there, you're going to get killed. They try to kill you, you're going to go back there, they're going to kill you. And he knows that. He absolutely knows that. And that's why he's saying, like, we're still going to go. It's still going to go. And then this verse, verse 9 and 10, it's a very important part, a part of this. First, I thought, like, all right, he's talking about they're just going to sneak in there at night. That, that's, that's kind of like, all right, if we go to daylight, then we're going to, they'll find out at night. But no, what he's saying, when he's talking about walking in the light, you will not stumble. Talking about walking in God's will, you're not going to stumble. So uh, he's fighting this thing of, I'm gonna, I might get killed if I go back there, but if I walk in the will of God, I will not stumble. Nothing's gonna happen with this, what God does not have already ordained for me to happen. So I, if, as long as I'm doing what the Father has me doing, I will be okay, right? So another piece of that that we unpack is that just a couple chapters before, in chapter eight, verse 12, Jesus reveals and he says, I am the light of the world. So when he says this here in chapter 11, his disciples would have referred back. So when he says um, that there's hours of daylight, that the one who walks by daylight will not stumble, he's actually going back to that whole point that he is the light. The same way that the word of God is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. If you are walking in the will of God, if you are in God's ordained timing, um, which Jesus always was, he was in alignment with the Father's will. uh, His point is, is, as long as I'm here, as long as I'm in the light, we're going to be just fine. And so we don't need to worry about man's opposition uh, because God will, it's, everything happens in accordance with God's will. So then we get into verse 11 to 15 and it says, after he had said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I am glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to them, go to him. Then Thomas, also called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, 
that we may die with him. So once again, we see, as we often do in the Gospels, that Jesus says something, um, whether figuratively, metaphorically, sometimes very plainly, and the disciples just, they're not on the same page. It just completely goes over their head. Um, And so he has to tell them very bluntly, like, no, I'm saying... so. Saying that someone had fallen asleep was actually a really common, the same way that we would say that someone passed away. I know there's certain language that we, we use. So saying that someone was asleep was a natural, they should have actually made that assumption and known that he was referring to the fact that Lazarus had died, um, but they, they weren't following with him. And so he has to tell them very plainly. And so he, the interesting part about this point is if we, we go back, he knows, like we said, there's two things that we anchor ourselves in this text. One, he loved Lazarus. Two, he already knew what was going to happen. He knew what God was going to do through him. And, and we know this is confirmed in this part because he knows that Lazarus has died, but no one told him. No one came. There was no messenger. The messengers came, but the messengers told him that Lazarus was sick. But Jesus already knows that the time has come and that Lazarus has passed away, even though no one has. So he, he knows through divine revelation, the father has revealed to him that Lazarus has, has already passed away. Yeah, because remember, this, this is a day, day three at this point. And remember, when he comes there and he asks them to open up the uh, roll away the stone and say, but the body's been dead for four days. And... Bethany and where Jesus was was a day, one day away. So if you kind of do the math, messenger comes to him. That was a day. Then two days he does nothing. And then when he comes back, it's another day. So it's four days. So when messenger left Bethany, Lazarus died that day. So it's, it's this, uh, this understanding that, that Jesus already knew what was happening at that time. So when the messengers come, the point is, is that Lazarus most likely was already dead. He had probably died while the messengers were on their way. So he knew actually more than the messengers even knew. So he waits two days because there's not, it's not like he can come and heal Lazarus, that Lazarus is sick. He knows that Lazarus is already dead. So where we might look at this and say, man, if he's sick, why wouldn't he run over to him? And, but there's no rush in two days because he already knows, again, he knows what's going to happen. So it's not like he's being cold and cruel and letting Lazarus suffer. It's that he already knows the details of what has transpired. And he knows that he has to do things in God's timing and not his timing. Otherwise, he's not in submission to God's will. Yeah, And also we see that the, this, again, painful thing that Lazarus is dead, that that's the truth that he speaks to them in verse 14. But in 15, it says... And for your sake, I'm glad I was not there so that you may believe. Mm-hmm. So, again, a really negative thing, a painful thing that is happening of his friend who's, who he loves is dead. But at the same time, he understands that what's going to happen next is going to increase the, the faith of his disciples. Mm-hmm. And which is, again, part of God's will to be, to be done. So we already referred to this, but starting in verse 17, it says, On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. And we already commented on that. Um, And then here it highlights what we mentioned as well. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. So this is an important detail because remember, it was the Jews who were in Jerusalem who specifically wanted to kill Jesus. That is where he had already gained some notoriety. That is where the people wanted to seize him and stone him. So these Jews who come out to Bethany are the very same Jews who just however short time before um, had tried to attack him and had accused him of blasphemy. So those are the Jews that he's coming to at this point. 
So he's literally going directly into the line of fire, which is why we started with this story, because very often we start the, the, with the week of Christ's journey to the cross with the triumphal entry. But what actually starts to transpire, where the turning point really is, is with this story right here. So in verse 20, it said, When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, which is a huge statement of faith, right? Right there, um, that she firmly believes that Jesus, because he cares so much for Lazarus, would have done something. But she has no idea of the capacity of what Jesus is able to do at this point. But she does say, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. So this is a huge declaration of faith because she's, she's basically professing that even though he's dead, she believes that he can, he can act and bring him back to life even at this point. So Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And can, can we make a comment that yes. just so you understand, because Trish and I had this conversation. Some Jews believe the resurrection on the last day and some did not. So the, this thing is not something new. The resurrection of the dead was not so, something new that Jesus brought into the world. It was a Jewish uh, belief. It, it was the Pharisees. Yeah. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection. The Sadducees did not. So there, there was a split in the, in the Jewish faith about the resurrection day and on the, the last day and everything else. And as you read through the Old Testament, they always talk about you know, in the last days, things are going to happen. Mm-hmm. So it, because it kind of, we normally when we think about resurrection, we think about New Testament and Jesus resurrection. But this is an old faith that came for, into Jewish's life. Right, which even though it had not been experienced, it was part of the faith. That God would, in the last day, at, at the day of the Lord, it's frequently talked about in Scripture, that God would resurrect both, which we talked about when we talked about Nephesh, that he would not only, he would restore people's souls to their physical body and they would experience a bodily resurrection. So that was something that they believed, which Jesus was affirming. And as we go on to the next verse in 25 and 26, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And we could actually, we're not going to today because that's not the focus of our teaching. You could sit and park yourself right there and just do a whole uh, sermon on that. But what we do want to highlight is that he says, I am the resurrection and the life. So he does not say, I will bring resurrection and life. He, he literally says, I am. And when he uses the word I am, there are seven I am statements in the book of John. And those are the book of John is highlighting the fact that Christ had divinity, that Christ was one with the Father. Um, and the same way that God reveals himself in the Old Testament to Moses and to the Israelites saying, I am who I am, I will be who he was known as the great I am. When Jesus makes these statements, he's letting them know, I am. He's reaffirming that. And in this case, he's not just saying, I will bring resurrection. He's, I am the resurrection. So if you are in me, if you abide in me, you will experience this resurrection power. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No, and just, just to keep reading, and again, she sh- uh, Martha shows this faith of, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God who was to come into this world. So again, she's just kind of showing her faith of, of understanding who Jesus really is. So we just keep reading. And after she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher's here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. 
When the Jews who has been with Mary in the house comforted, comforting her, notice how quickly she got up and went out. They followed her, supposing she was going to, to the tomb to mourn there. So again, against those Jews that were trying to kill Jesus are now going to where Jesus is. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been there, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. So we want to, <coughs> oh, you know what? I'm just going to keep reading. No, just, just pause there. Just pause there? Yeah. All right. So when, we're, when we look at this section, we see that for whatever reason, again, because Jesus is already having a conflict. There is a reason why Jesus is outside the village. He does not come swooping into the village of Bethany ready to save the day. There's this point where he's sitting outside the village, and you can imagine that he is wrestling with this entire situation. Um, Not that he's psyching himself up, but this is not an easy thing for him to do. So he remains outside the village, um, again, waiting and praying for the Lord's timing. So instead of going into the confrontation, and I think we can actually learn something from that, because a lot of times we run into confrontation because we want to fix it, we want to solve it, we want to, and the Lord is like, just sit back. And so instead of him coming in aggressively, he actually stays back and the Jews actually come out to him and they meet him in where he is at rather than him coming into them. And it's, it's really interesting because Mary says the exact same thing that Martha says. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And this can be interpreted saying, and I think some of us have done this when we're in a hard place. It's like, Lord, you know, where were you? Why did you not answer my prayer where if you if you were real if you were active in my life you would not have let this happen but that's not the tone of what these sisters are saying they're actually saying it from a place of i know that you love our brother and so if you were here we believe that you would have done something and and they were grieved because he was not there Uh, it's not from a place of attacking or accusing but the other interesting thing is that mary unlike martha who you know martha was the servant but we consistently see mary she's always at the feet of jesus <laughs> consistently mary was you know martha was serving and mary was chose to be a disciple and sit at jesus feet then you know her brother dies and she comes out to the city to meet him and she falls at his feet and then we're going to see when when she anoints him at bethany she anoints his feet and wipes his feet with her hair so there's a consistent posture here that we see the personality of mary coming out that i just think is really poignant and i i think we ha- we can learn a lot from mary in the way that she comes to jesus with this humility and she's consistently not coming to him from a place of you know superior but she recognizes his, his lordship and she just comes and lays herself at his feet yeah but we have we have these two feelings here that we really want to point out uh, in verse 33 again he says when jesus saw her weeping and the jews who had come along with her also weeping he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. So deeply moved, it's, it's, it sounds like a, such a wonderful and loving word. But the word is there is, in, the, in Greek, it's embryomyomi, which just means indignant. It actually, some of it, some people translate, some of the commentaries translated is when a horse just like huffs, like, like flares. Like when it snorts and flares yeah. its nostrils. Like have you ever somebody frustrated you and just like, <sighs> that that's how he felt it's it's this like i don't know it's it's this it's kind indignant. of it's he was this, he was 
frustrated. Yeah, frustration. Thank you. He was frustrated. So this translation that he was deeply moved, the word can also mean to groan. But in the context of this of this text, what what we actually see happening here is that these Jewish people who want to kill him come out and they're weeping and they're being all I dramatic. <laughs> and Jesus is, becomes so. These are the conflicting emotions. It says he was indignant in the spirit and also troubled. So we see this direct conflict of these two things that he knows what God is doing. He knows God's will, but he also loved Lazarus. And so there's a part of him that's just really frustrated with this situation um, because you have he he sees almost the hypocrisy while he loves Mary and he sees her grief he also sees the hypocrisy of these Jews that are coming out of the town and they're weeping and wailing and part of the cultural tradition you would actually hire mourners that would follow you around and they would oh you know all dramatic and um, it was supposed to be originally something that allowed you the freedom to weep and mourn and get your grief out um, and and you felt that people were supporting you, but it actually became like an actual profession. Mm-hmm. And so we see in other places when Jesus heals a little girl, he sends all the mourners out. And there's almost the same sense of like he, he's frustrated with that because it's, it's, uh, it's not genuine mourning. It's not yeah. genuine grief. So He knows it, these are the very same people that in about a week or so are going to have him crucified on a cross. So it's really hard to have, right? It's really hard to love. He says, love your enemies, but it's not going to be easy. Yeah. And there's this absolute humanity of Jesus here. Again, we think of it like, oh, he, he knew what God was going to do. And so he comes into this really tough situation and he's cool, calm, and collected. And Jesus never, well, he was, he was brewing below the surface. Like he was very human. He was very raw. And his emotions came crashing in at this point. So he's, he has this incredible de- grief where he's troubled because the word they're troubled is terrazzo. And it, it's the sense of, uh, it's the same word that when they heal the paralyzed man over by um, the pool, it's the word that was used to stir the water. So the word there, it's like to agitate. So he was, he was, he was troubled. It, it can mean anxious. It can mean disturbed. So there's this, this wrestling that we see that obviously he didn't say it out loud that that's how he's, he was feeling, but it must have been visible enough that those who were watching, that the disciples were able to pick up on it so that they were able to actually, that John was able to include that in his gospel. Like, oh no, he was, he was having a rough time at this point. Yeah. 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 And, the, and then as, as we read on for the next two, two, three verses, you can wow. see it again in uh, verse three, four, where have you laid him? He asked, come and see Lord. They replied and Jesus wept. So again, you see finally that emotion coming out of, of the loss of, of his of, of his friend, the one he, he loved. Then the Jews said, see, he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? And Jesus once more, deeply moved. It's that same word, came, which came is really the, difficult to yeah. say. <laughs> Jesus once more, deeply moved, came to the tomb. And it was, it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. So it's, it's just one, again, you see that he hears them, right? Some of them are like, oh, look at them. He did love them. And the, other, and the other one's like egging him on. And it was probably the ones who tried to stone him. Like, they're like, oh, look, he's, he, he's, he's curing the blind and everything else. He's doing all this stuff, but he, yes. could, he couldn't help the one he loved, huh? Which are the same 
mocking words that they gave him when he was on the cross, right? They're like, why would he not heal the one who healed others? Why can't he save himself, right? So then you see Jesus once, once again becomes indignant. So it's like he has this moment where his emotions crash together. And he, like many of us do, when we come to the end of ourself, you just weep. And so Jesus allows his grief to come to the surface. Again, being very human, although he knew that Lazarus would die, he knew that God would resurrect him. He knew what he knew. But again, a lot of times we know things logically, but what we feel is different. You know, if you've lost a loved one, you face this reality that you know that they're with Christ in heaven. You know that they will be resurrected and will be with them again one day. But it doesn't stop the pain. It doesn't stop the sense of loss and the fact that they're not with you now and that you're, you're going to miss them. And so Christ is looking and he sees Lazarus still suffered. He was sick. He still had to go through death. Mary and Martha are still struggling. Their, their pain and their grief is real. And to pat it over and just say, oh, well, but he's going to resurrect. Like, just yeah. get over it. He, that would be wrong. And Jesus doesn't do that either. And so we also should learn from that and be careful that when we approach someone with grief to just say, oh, well, they're in a better place yeah. now. Or, oh, you'll see them again. And mm-hmm. we dismiss, mm-hmm. you know, we, we diminish their grief. That is not something that honors God. And it's not something that we see in the example of Christ. We are supposed to mourn with those who mourn, you know, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And Jesus sets that example. But he does get, as they say these mocking words, and Jesus is aware of it, he once again becomes indignant. And you could just see him kind of like, you know what? Let's just watch do me. this. Just He's watch like, me. take away the stone. Like, come on, let's do, you know, he like rolls up his sleeves, like, let's do what I came here to do because I'm about to put all of you, I'm about to quiet all of you right now. Yeah. So, so again, take away the stone, he said. But Lord said, Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you? Then I, sorry. Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So one of the the insights that we were understanding about this text is when Jesus, before he commands Lazarus to come out, he says, thank you, Father, that you have heard me. And what the amazing thing is, is that Jesus, we, does, we don't see him saying anything to the Father before this point. So he says, thank you that you have heard me. Well, when did the Father hear him? What we would be able to surmise is that he, when he hears that Lazarus is sick and he knows that Lazarus is going to die, during those two days, Jesus has made clear that certain things can only happen through fasting and through prayer. So he didn't just do nothing for those two days that he waited, but that was a time of preparation. He was getting prepared for what God was about to do. And he cried out to the Lord on Lazarus's behalf and he knows that God heard him. And so when he acts, you know, sometimes I think, you know, we, we pray and we're nervous to pray for healing or we're nervous to pray for a miracle because we think that God may not answer. But the way that miracles actually work, the way that these things actually happen is God will show you in advance what he's going to do and then he gives you the courage to actually pray it. 
So I'm not saying that we should never pray for someone's healing, but the way that the Holy Spirit moves is that God will actually show you and it will be really scary because you're like, you really want me to go up and pray for this person? You really want me to go up and let this person know that he's going to do a move in their life? Um, Because he shows you first that he's going to do it. So you cry out to God, he shows you what he's going to do, and then it actually happens rather than we sometimes get that process reversed. So he says, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. When did God hear him? He heard him during that that period between when he found out the news and before he headed back to Bethany. So that's a pretty powerful revelation that I I believe that that's how, uh, how Jesus prepared himself for this moment. Yes. Okay. So <laughs> sorry. <laughs> he was always in communion with the Father. He was always Even in communion with the Father. Speculated it was between the, right. that particular time. He, like you he see that he is because he knew this whole time. He knew yeah. that it wouldn't end in death. He knew. So he he was in constant communion with the Father. But I do believe that he used those couple of days to be in preparation for this moment because this was a moment. Again, we see that he's wrestling. We see that he's in conflict, and it was not something that came easily to him. So he God allowed those extra days for time of preparation for Jesus himself to be able to go through this part of his ministry. And the the other awesome thing about this is that when he said this, remember he had made an I am statement. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. So he was claiming to be equal to God the Father. He was claiming to be one with God the Father. And it, the way that he raises Lazarus, he doesn't go into the tomb and lay hands on him. You know, there was stories of Elijah where there was a dead child and Elijah lays on the child and he does it a couple of times and the child comes back. So this wasn't the first time in scripture when you see someone be resurrected, but it is the first time he's just says, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And you see that even the dead have to obey him, which was an authority that literally only God the Father himself would have. Only only God himself would be able to do it. This is the same creative power that was in Genesis 1, that God said, let there be light, that God said. And so here he says, Lazarus, come out. And with that same word, that same powerful voice, that he used to help that was used to form all of creation he brings Lazarus to life without even you know physical contact oh, there was nothing yeah no hoopla no nothing just real simple he just says yeah he doesn't have to do a dance he doesn't have to pray all dramatically he's not anointing it with oil he's not casting things or rebuking things he, he just no none of that he just real simply he calls Lazarus by name and he says come out and it's just such a beautiful picture because that's the same thing that Christ does for us is he calls us by name and he he brings us from from death to life yes hallelujah yeah, and I love that it ends with he tells him to take off the grave clothes and let him go. He's right away. Yes. We don't. He just wants to strip all that. Yes. The death is not part of him. He that's not who he is anymore. So that's the first thing he said. Take off the, the those grave clothes off him. That's not who he is anymore. Let, let's clear him out, clean him off. Let, let him go and live the life that he that he should be living right now. So he, they don't they don't stand there any longer and kind of in awe of him. He probably looks like a mom, mummy right now, and that. But he erases that right away. He's alive and well now. 
He speaks into him. No, I know. And so you can almost kind of in this moment, he's just like, take off the grave clothes and let him go. There's almost like this mic drop moment, right? Where he's just, you see him wrestling and wrestling. um, And and there's a sense of frustration. There's a sense of agony because he knows that he's confronting the powers of death. He knows that his own death and his own being buried in the grave is imminent. And so this is not a story. Again, this is his journey to the cross. And we see he's already beginning the the interaction with having to heal Lazarus is a direct confrontation. He has to face his own suffering, his own passion, and all of that he's facing. So when he's suffering with Lazarus, he's not only grieving Lazarus, he's not only going through the loss of a friend and through the, the glory of this friend's resurrection, but he's directly, it's, it's almost like triggering of his own trauma that he knows he's about to go through. Mm-hmm. And again, like we said with this story, even though you know, like Jesus had prophesied many times, he's like, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They're going to crucify me. I'm going to die. Then on the third day, I'll resurrect. And I'm, I'm not saying he didn't say it in that tone. He didn't say it <laughs> casually. This was something that was really painful and difficult. But even though he knew, it does not mean it was easy for him. Yeah. It does not mean that he didn't go through the emotions of fear and anxiety and grief and even anger and frustration. And this story is one of the examples of that. We see that his humanity really comes to the surface in this story, and it only continues to escalate from here. Yeah, so the the rest of the chapter um, just kind of tells us again why we believe that this is the beginning of his journey to the cross. And I'll read it just to kind of finish up, uh, finish this up. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Marian had been what Jesus did, seeing what Jesus did, put their faith in him. But some of them went to Pharisee, Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priest and the Pharisees called the meeting of Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing? They asked. Here is this man performing many miracles, signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Then one of them named Caiaphas. Thank you who was high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. Mm -hmm. He did not say this uh, on his own, but a high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish Mm. nation. And not only for the nation, but also for the scattered children of God to bring them together and make them one. Mm -hmm. So from that day on, they uh, plotted to take his life. So this is kind of the beginning of it all. And um, uh, therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the Jews. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the desert to a village called Ephraim, where he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for the ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. They kept looking for Jesus. And as they stood in the temple area, they asked one another, what do you think? Is he coming to the feast at all? The chief priests and Pharisees had given orders that if anyone found out where Jesus was, he should have reported so that they might arrest him. And then we know that from this point on, you know, Jesus was crucified during the Passover. So we're right at the, at the beginning of his actual journey to the cross. This is the first, this story is the first step towards the end of his ministry. Thank you for spending time with us during this episode. We pray that this teaching blessed you and brought you closer to understanding God. If you'd like to contact us, please email us at corechurch242 at gmail.com. Until next time, know you are loved and covered in prayer.